Hello, and welcome to the Producer Podcast. I'm your host, Micah Versman, and joining me today on the show is Jared O'Flaherty. Jared has worked on a number of projects in both the narrative and documentary space. Today, we're excited to talk to him about his latest endeavor, the faith-based crime series Vindication. Season one of the show is currently streaming with a second season in production. Without further ado, let's get started. Thank you for coming on the show today, Jared. Absolutely, Micah. Uh, always good to chat with you. I guess to start off, I'm curious, because here you are kind of producing this Vindication series. Was that producer realm always something you were interested in film, or did that come about later on? Uh, I would say the producer aspect uh, came more out of necessity, uh, as opposed to something that I was seeking to get involved in. Um, as the projects I was working on began to grow, there became this need that it wasn't just a camera and an editing bay. There became more and more elements to that. And naturally, since I you know, knew the projects from the script phase on, it just naturally kind of fell on me of, okay, well, I'm going to reach out to these people and and you know get some funds together and come up with the budget and that sort of thing so as it grew and grew as the project size grew it just i kind of grew with it but it wasn't anything that i said oh i want to go produce films you know i was more interested in shooting and editing and storytelling okay so is that then are you kind of hooked on producing now or is it something and maybe in the future you kind of like to step back from and just focus on other aspects i i don't enjoy producing that much uh, it's funny we're talking right now because I'm right in the middle of doing lots and lots of producer-related tasks. Um, I enjoy the creative side. You know, I, okay. I enjoy that fun part. The production and producer is more business, I feel like. Um, mm-hmm. but there's some elements to it that are, are neat. You know, you, at least you get control over things. I, I like managing a budget and, and uh, you know, kind of pulling from this spot to add a little more here and, and those sort of things. So I, I enjoy that part of it. But I would much more rather focus on the storytelling and creative side and let someone else step in and do all the producing. But it is an area that I found I've been able to cut costs. You know, if I'm working on a project and I want that money that we have to show up on the screen and talent and music and sets and props, then an area that I can save money is by me handling those producer-related tasks instead of paying someone to do it. That's why I kind of hang on to it, you know, not so much, again, out of a desire, but more out of necessity. So what do you find gets you excited about a project? The phase that I get the most excited is when the auditions start coming in. Because you've read the script, you you tweaked and tuned the storyline until it gets to you know, a point that you're satisfied and now you're starting to actually see it and hear it, you know, because when these auditions start coming in, you're, you're knowing, Hey, that's, that might be the voice of this character. And that's what they sound like. And look what they do with their mouth when they're, they're talking or when they're angry and look look at their, their eyes and where they look around. And and you just start seeing these things come together. You didn't know were there because the script doesn't have that level of detail in it. So it's these actors and actresses bringing it to life and I mean, I, I just love it. I'm, I'm excited when the auditions start coming in. It's, you know, it's, it's to me like opening gifts at Christmas, you know, you never know what the next one's going to be, right? And, and you've always got this excitement, the next one's going to be, you know? So when that phase happens, that's when I get excited. 
because it starts becoming real instead of just black ink on a white page. Yeah, that that's for sure. It's I've just finished some casting myself for a project, and it was neat to see somebody actually performing those words that I've read many times. One thing I'm kind of curious about, especially since you're doing a little bit longer form series, is how are you balancing producing that with raising a family at the same time? I'm glad you're asking me instead of them. I'm not sure how they would uh, say it. Just this this week, I mean, we're we're one week away from production, and we've got just every day is packed with different tasks and, and, and different duties involved. And one of my kids said, like, was there going to be any time for us this week? You know, and you feel bad because, I mean, uh, two weeks ago they didn't ask that question, though. It was when you get to crunch time that uh, the question comes up. So how do you balance it? Um, I, I keep them involved. They know what's going on. You know, I, I like to talk to them about it, make sure that, you know, that nothing's going on with them that, that I should divert attention from the film or from the production to them. You know, uh, I think my, my family and kids are pretty stable. They're, they understand what is involved. They've been through it before. You know, they know for a short period things get crazy. And then afterwards uh, we get dad back. But at the same time, I don't, other than like during the actual shoot, I don't ever feel like I'm absent. And as far as my children are concerned, I usually, uh, when there's leftover craft services, I bring those home and they love that. They, they look forward to dad filming because that means for four days or six days or eight days or whatever, they're going to have all sorts of snacks and drinks and candy and meals come home. So that, that keeps them <laughs> kind of, you know, looking at the bright side of things. Yeah, for sure. Do they ever get to help out on set in any way, whether crew or being roped in as extras on the project? Yeah, so my wife uh, does. She actually is kind of our uh, supervisor for craft services. She's probably, as we're doing this right now, in the other room planning out meals and and what to prepare and buy and order and those sort of things. Um, So she usually will bring those at least a couple of times throughout the shoot to set. And some of the kids will come with it and they'll get to see, you know, some of these characters that they've, they've seen in the TV show or they'll get to see me at work and, and what I'm doing. So they get to be involved in that way. And then, uh, you know, one of my daughters occasionally, hey, can I go with you? So she'll come to set and, you know, help out and do little things here and there. So they have been involved to the amount. Uh, my oldest daughter was in episode two. Um, so she got to be in, involved there. Uh, my wife walked by in the background of episode one. Uh, she that was more again that was necessity. It was like, hey, you're here bringing food. Can you like walk by while we're <laughs> in the background? Uh, okay, sure. So, yeah. So so they do stay involved. Um, uh, maybe they get a little overload of it being at home with mm-hmm. them, and hearing everything, and you know, so they don't really have a hunger. Oh, I want to I want to see more of the production. You know, it's just a mild appetite for it that they have. All right. So jumping in here to season one, I'm, I'm curious to know, because season one started off just as a single short film. So what was that like when you suddenly went from managing a production of a short film to this multi-episode season? Yeah, you know, we never got the green light for five episodes at a time. The most we ever got at a time was two. So for me, it was a bite-sized thing, you know, that we did one episode and then we did a second episode and then we got an order for two. So I'm just working on two episodes. It never felt like, oh, I'm working on 
eight episodes or five or whatever. So it, it, it remained manageable. You know, it didn't seem that much different from just doing that original short film. Um, now I did have the, you know, I uh, wished that I would have known at the beginning that we we're doing 10 episodes because I could have woven in more storylines and kept some things more consistent, you know, uh, like our police station in episode one doesn't show up in any other episodes, you know, because different location. But that happens with pilots, you know, other pilots oh, yes. shows do the same thing, you know, so that's not too abnormal. Uh, so, yeah, that, uh, you know, that part of it allowed me to pick up things in small amounts and not have to, you know, swallow the whole elephant, I think is the phrase. Is that yeah. the phrase, Micah? Or did I say it wrong? What is it? So, like, how to eat an elephant one bite at a time? I'm not sure if I've ever heard that. Okay. Myself. You, you keep going. I'm going to look it up. All right. So, I guess with, uh, with season two here, then, you, you have gotten the green light for more episodes at the same time. So has that changed at all, how you're going about producing these? Because you know there's going to be more? Yeah, so what we have coming up, we're actually shooting the first two episodes, but we're doing them simultaneously, and that will be our first time to do that. So there will be locations that we are filming scenes for episode one and episode two, in the same day, right back to back with each other. And we have never done that in the past. So, you know, as far as wardrobe and continuity is concerned, that, uh, you know, is a new thing we're having to think about in the past. It was always just one episode that we were shooting. So that's new. And then beyond that, you know, the, the back eight episodes, I had this foresight to look and decide, hey, what do we, when do we want to have the, the big moments happen? And when do we want to set those up? And what storylines do we want to weave in? Whereas in season one, every episode almost, we're thinking if this is the final episode, you know, this is the last one we ever get to do, is it going to be satisfying? Can we wrap it up, you know, to where if this is, if it's only a four episode series that, you know, people are okay with it. So we had that concern. Now I don't have that as much. And once we got to like episode six, seven, eight, we, in season one, we kind of had an idea. I think this is going to go to 10 episodes. So we started adding cliffhangers mm-hmm. and things of that. Okay. Nature. So at least at this point, you know, with the foresight of knowing, hey, we've already done 10 episodes before. We'll probably do that again. We can add in those cliffhangers and we can, you know, not ha- leave each episode having to wrap up, potentially wrap up the series. Nice. So you mentioned filming at different locations and how the police station changed from the pilot to the other episodes of season one. I'm curious what the process is like when with securing locations where you know they're going to be appearing in multiple episodes. That's got to be a little different than just going to someone like, we need your house for two days on this short film or feature film, and then you won't see us again. Yeah, absolutely. When choosing the locations, that is something that... Uh, we consider, you know, is this a location that we will probably get, get to come back to and they will be okay with this? You know, two of them that we're using, uh, actually three of them coming up in season two are locations that I'm like, I have a pretty good feeling this will be available to us for the rest of the year. You know, it's a business that's been around for eight years, 10 years, whatever, and the owner is a huge supporter of the series and just rolls out the red carpet for us. You know, you have a pretty good Mm -hmm. idea. We will be able to come back here, you know. Um, But, you know, it could also change. And and luckily we have the the power of the pen 
so that we could change the script and say, oh, guess what? In these two episodes, they're not going to be at this police station or this person's house, you know? Uh, they're mm-hmm. going to be out in a different location or out doing something else. So, uh, yeah, that's definitely something that goes into it. I wouldn't want a, you know, a location that we can just barely squeeze into and, you know, get in the door just for a few hours and have that be something that needed to be recurring throughout the series. I've worked on projects with actual law enforcement before, but I've never ha- worked on projects with fictional law enforcement characters. So are there different things especially legally when it comes to getting some of the props and wardrobe that you have to do for a show like this? Yeah, that's a great question because that has come up uh, when we call to order some badges, you know, they don't just sell real police badges to anyone. Now we can get these fake phony Halloween costume props, but I don't want that. You know, I want, I want it to look real. Um, So for that one in particular, you know, we had to, that we were a production company. We had to fill out a form saying where they would be stored behind lock and key and on what property, you know, show our IMDb credits, show letterhead, that sort of thing, and kind of get approved that, okay, this this is real. And then, uh, you know, they would produce it and ship it for us. Uh, you know, and some things uh, like uh, patches on a police officer's uniform, you know, you can't buy them if they say city of Dallas, city of Houston, New York, whatever, mm-hmm. unless you are shipping it to one of the facilities of law enforcement in those cities. So for us, it just had to say, you know, police officer, you know, protect and serve on it, which I don't okay. think is, is a big problem, but you know, there were limitations like that. So doing a season mm-hmm. two, it's kind of easy now because we can show them, Hey, here, go look, here's what we're doing. You know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the director, you know, you can see my name at the beginning of the episodes and on IMDb and all that. And, We've done 10 episodes, we're doing a season two. It's kind of easier for them to go, okay, th- this is real. Uh, this isn't, you know, some type of a scheme or criminal organization. Yeah, for sure. So you, you mentioned earlier how here with season two, you're filming multiple episodes at a time. What was that like with season one then, I guess, where you weren't, where you're just doing one episode through? Was that just logistically, was it a lot more challenging? Or not really because you were only doing an episode at a time? Yeah, I mean, doing an episode at a time had its advantages. There were things we didn't have to think about, you know, which which episode are we in, what type of clothing, continuity, things of that nature. So it had advantages. What I'm seeing primarily with shooting two at once is there's actually a lot of cost savings. Uh, Some of our recurring characters are out of state, and we had to fly them in and lodge them and all of that. So when we would do two or an episode by itself and then wait like two weeks and do another episode, we'd have to fly that person in twice, you know, and get them in a hotel multiple times, shooting everything at once, or at least these two episodes simultaneously, uh, you only have to travel them once. You're like, oh, hey, cost savings. This is nice, you know? And, and whereas before, like with craft services, I mentioned you'd have, you know, lots of things left over at the end or whatever. Well, now we get to spread that out over eight days. So we don't mm-hmm. have any excess to throw away afterwards. Um, but you know what, talk to me after I've done these two episodes and I may have some new answers of, oh, wow, I did not anticipate this aspect. Uh, okay. One thing that's nice, I, I think there's only like three days, though, that we're actually shooting scenes for both episodes on those three days. So the other five are isolated to uh, just, you know, one episode or the other. So it helps us keep it in track. But even my actors are thinking like, man, I have this emotion, this wide range of emotion I have to get into and I have to remember what has happened up to this point for my character. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, on day two, we're shooting something for episode two. 
I have to remember that all these things in episode one have already happened to my character. So I may view things a little differently or I may be quicker or shorter to respond in situations because of what has happened in episode one. So it, it adds some challenges, but then on the production side has advantages as well. Yeah, no, that's good. I've never thought about it that from the actor's perspective. I always thought just from the logistical side of, of making a film. During season one, you did a number of things. You had a sting operation, a drug bust. The SWAT team was there for an episode. So did you have to take any precautions in like the areas you were filming so you didn't have locals freaking out that something bad was going down in their neighborhood and calling the actual cops on you? Yeah, so the the three that you mentioned, um, the the uh, sting operation that took place. I mean, yeah, you got people with guns and they're all charging and all that. It was at our church's property, which is probably I want to say maybe it's ten acres. It might be eight acres. I'm not sure. So it was a very remote location. You know, there wouldn't be locals seeing what was going on and oh no and that sort of thing. So we, we were in a remote location. For the, uh, the drug bust that took place, which that had you know, lights and officers and guns, same thing. It was more out in the country. Uh, it was on private property, and we were filming at like 2 or 3 in the morning. So as long as the property owner knew we would be there, there really wasn't this risk of, of other people. And same goes for the SWAT team. I mean, we were out on oh, lots of acreage to shoot that one, so there really wasn't anyone around. Um, the one time that we, we, were, we shot in an apartment complex for episode one, uh, we had an off-duty officer that we hired to come be on set with us because everyone in that apartment complex was out on their balconies. They were driving up. They were looking. What was going on? You know, and that sort of thing. So while there was no police activity in that episode, you know, it was lots of people around all wanting to do. And it was great because the, the officer was with us. You know, he'd just kind of point at him and give him the signal to turn around and go inside. And they would turn around and go in. Had we not had him, if it was just us out there, Every single person came out, we'd have to stop for 10 minutes and explain to them what's going on. We have permission and we'll, we'll almost be finished but with the officer. I mean, it was great. I mean, we had some cars try to like come driving where we were at and you know, he kind of gave them a signal and they'd turn around and drive off. <laughs> and, and so you feel bad because this is, you know, 11 o'clock at night and people are trying to get to their apartments. But yeah, that was the situation. We did have a lot of uh, community involvement and they, they were great. Sweet. So one thing I like about Vindication is that it does deal with some more mature themes and topics that you don't normally see brought up, especially in the faith-based realm. But as a producer, how do you find that happy medium? So you're not sugarcoating the issue, but you're also not getting too graphic to where parents have to be worried about what their kids are going to see on screen. Yeah, I, I can think of a couple particular scenes or episodes that you might be referring to, and, and it's nice we're now getting into the, the meat of this conversation, you know, the, the tough questions. <laughs> but uh, here, here's kind of how I, I try to balance it, and it's hard to do. I mean, people have tried it before and missed the mark, you know. Hey, that, 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 that show was too graphic for you know, the fake audience, or they tried to be edgy and it just came off looking corny you know, or goofy that, okay, you're trying to be edgy, but it's obviously not there. When I'm on set, I like want the scene to go far enough that I get a little bit nervous myself being there. 
like this this feels uncomfortable filming this scene or or, or being here but at the same time if my uh, i'll use the example of my spouse if my wife walked up she wouldn't be like she wouldn't slap me you know she'd just be like <laughs> Oh, okay. You know, so, I mean, there's, there's an edge there that, that you have to balance on. And we had maybe one shot for one scene uh, that we shot it three times. One was very safe. Uh, one was kind of in the middle. And then one was, I'm going to say extreme. It, it would be extreme for Christian audiences, but the secular world, it would be mild, right? Mm-hmm. But we shot it three ways. And then in the final edit, I used that middle one, you know, and that's just kind of always been the approach. You use something that's right in the middle not too safe but at the same time not too uh too far that's a good way of thinking about it so with a series like this what does the post-production look like especially because you're just releasing the whole season at once this isn't like a tv show where there's an episode coming out each week so do you shoot the whole season and then send it all through post or are you editing as you're shooting Oh, you're talking about season one or season two? Let's maybe start with season one, and then we can look at maybe what you're thinking for season two as well. Okay. Yeah, most of season one, we would have about a three- or four-month break between uh, the episodes and then the next batch. So whether it was doing one or doing two at a time, that we never did any more than that. So for me, I would be so excited and we didn't know for sure if we were going to do more episodes. So I would immediately start editing, you know, and start working on them. Uh, you know, probably the, the most time consuming part was getting it in the hands of our composer uh, so that he could, you know, write the music. I mean, I can, I can rush and edit out the door in a weekend, you know, mm-hmm. um, but the music, you can't score a, a episode over a weekend, you know, it takes time. So my goal was always to get it done to a point I could put it in his hands. That way he would start scoring it, you know, to these locked in cuts uh, and then the color stuff and some of the sound design could, could happen after that. But yeah, we, we would shoot an episode immediately kind of go into post on it. And occasionally we would, Oh, oh, oh Hey, we're going to do two more episodes. So let's start focusing on those. But we never got a backlog of like four or five episodes that weren't finished. Uh, with season two, that may not be the case. We may be so heavy in production that we shoot like five of them and don't have any of them edited until they are all edited and they're all going to be posted one after the other. All right. I'll be interested to hear, depending on how post goes for season two, how that Just, just that watch works. like my Instagrams and Facebooks, and if you see my hair getting dramatically <laughs> than it is now, which I mean, it's already mostly there, but if you're like, oh man, Jared is going like solid gray, you'll know, okay, I bet that post stuff is really starting to back up. <laughs> Good to know. Jumping forward a little bit to season two here, is there anything you learned throughout the process of making season one that you're either not going to do that the same way in season two, or you're going to keep doing that the same way because it worked really well? I had two things that, that bugged me that I'm, I'm going to be addressing in season two. One, yes, we were in a small town police station throughout season one and we made our sets look like that but we had a lot of dead wall space uh you know it wasn't our, our set designers you know i just got that hey this is what a police station looks like for small towns and it does but for film and for television entertainment i mean when we get to some of those scenes that you just had a blank you know wall behind someone whether it was an interrogation room or 
a police office or whatever, I just thought, oh, it, it just kind of irked on me because it lowered, I think, some of the production quality or the production value by doing that. So in this one, I'm, I'm going to be on the lookout for that. And if we end up with a spot, I'm not going to say, oh, this is okay. It's like, no, actually, in the end result, it doesn't look right. So let's make it look like a small town police department, but we're going to put something on the walls behind us. And then the other one would be in the editing process, and this is solely on me. Um, you know, I, I kind of like the dramatic, slower, unraveling stories, but then as I watch it a year later, I'm kind of wanting it to hurry up. Come on, let's get the next line. Let's let's keep this moving, you know? So in the edits of this one, I think they're going to run a lot faster as far as just cutting between dialogue scenes and making it really smooth instead of, you know, I guess in season one, I always wanted to capture that emotion. Oh, what does their face reaction look like? Let's, let's let the shot linger instead of let's just cut to the next dialogue and keep moving. Uh, a third thing I said too, a third one's I focused way too much on continuity in dialogue. So instead of okay. let me pick the best performance, I would be too worried about, oh, this person's head is a little tilted to the right, but in the front shot, you know, it's straight on. So I'm not going to use that. I got to match them up perfectly. And Hollywood, television, I mean, prime television, everywhere, they have continuity errors because they're focused on the performance. And you would only mm -hmm. notice them if you were out of the story and watching for it. So I think in, in my edits in season two, you know, I'm going to worry about the performance as opposed to, you know, a hair on someone's head continuity between shots. Nice. Yeah, that's that's definitely one thing I've noticed being a filmmaker is I pick up on the continuity <laughs> that Hollywood is when it's not quite right. It makes me feel better when that happens oh, yeah, in mine like, as okay, well. Yeah, this, this had a you know, $150 million budget and they have this continuity yet they all watched it and agreed upon it because you know those editors saw it 50 mm -hmm. times just like we do yet they decided that's okay and it's true if we weren't filmmakers 98 percent of people out there would never notice it unless they're watching it for the 10th time you know um so the, the first time around if you're caught up in the story they're not noticing uh the hair that moved or you know what are the shoulders position things of that nature so I have to ask this question. On a lot of film sets, I'd say the two most important roles are the producer and the director. So what's that relationship like on the set of Vindication? Well, since I'm, for the most part, feeling both of those, we've always had uh, associate producers and co-producers involved, but I've always had the producer hat on in some capacity, you know? Um, so yeah, it's easy for me to get along with him. He's a really nice guy, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, there are decisions you have to make as a producer and a director that tug in opposite directions. You know, um, I, I would say my producer hat tends to take prominence over the director hat. So I'm more worried about keeping my crew happy than getting that one last shot. You know, mm -hmm. uh, just a director, he's just worried about the performance and get the shot. The producer's like, I want everybody happy. They got to be here tomorrow. Is everyone having a good time? Have we gone long? Things of that nature. So when I'm on set, typically the producer side of me watching the clock, making sure everyone's staying hydrated. And uh, this time it'll be, you know, six feet socially distanced and washing their hands, things of that nature tend to take over so that the producer part is more in charge instead of just this free wielding wild west director, you know, doing whatever he wants and the heck with everything else. So yeah, so that, that's kind of how, how it goes uh, for me on sets. And again, and when I've had co-producers and associate producers, the work that they do, anything, no matter how big or small, is so appreciated because it's one less thing I'm having to think about and focus on. And like I said at the beginning of this podcast, 
you know, I'm anxious for the day that I can hand most of that off to someone else that the budget will allow for that. And I don't have to, to carry those burdens. All right. For example, so, I can give you an example, you know, okay. uh, we had on one set where an actress was coming out of town. She was picking up her rental car and they started asking her a bunch of questions about insurance. And is it the production's insurance? Is it your own? And she's like, ah, I don't know. So who does she call? She calls producer Jared, you know, so here I'm having to have this business discussion that night, you know, about, okay, well, we do this, normally do that. Other people can do this. I mean, we can pay for that, this business call. And then we get to set the next day and now it's director Jared, you know, but it's not like that conversation didn't happen. It did happen. Here was kind of a animated conversation about rental car insurance, but then we get on set and I'm the director. If those were two different people, you know, I feel like you could separate those a little bit. So um, again, advantages and disadvantages, at least the producer always knows what the director is doing and the director always knows what the producer is doing and what they're thinking. And that there's that advantage, but then like the situation I just described, uh, can be a disadvantage sometimes as well. Okay. So you mentioned, uh, in your last answer, kind of watching for people watching, washing their hands and staying six feet apart. So have you, with all the COVID-19 stuff had to tweak the script or kind of what's that causing this first shoot block to look like for you guys? I have not made any script changes and we have some scenes where people are very close to each other uh, in some of these scenes. And really it was a matter of me reaching out to the talent and seeing how comfortable they, they are with it, you know, because uh, in our society we have people who are, you know, COVID's a hoax, I'm not wearing a mask, I'm doing everything life as normal to other people that this is the end of our civilization, you have to be careful, you can't, you know, get near another human until it's totally gone. So you have this wide range of people. So I had to get a feel for where are my cast, where are my crew at, where do they sit on that scale? I mean, obviously, everyone, for the most part, uh, takes it seriously, you know, but are they I need to stay locked up and in a bubble or, you know, I can go on. And fortunately, uh, everyone I've talked with, and I certainly put it out there, hey, say something. If, if you're not comfortable, you don't think this is right, say something. Uh, and they've all been very open and, and willing and excited to work. You know, we're all going to be smart. We all realize that being around other people, there is an inherent risk, you know. Um, it, it can happen, but I think most of us kind of want to, we want to get on with life and kind of willing to take that risk. You know, it's just like every time you get in the car to go somewhere, there's a risk that somebody out there is not gonna obey the laws and you get an accident, you get hurt, whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. It is there, yet you still choose to go for the drive anyway because you wanna go on with your life. And, um, you know, there are a few that were very sensitive to it and we're gonna make precautions for them. You know, it may be where they're acting and there's nobody on the other side of them. They're basically just delivering their lines to an empty room, you know? or we'll clear the space, bring them in, get their shot, get them out, you know? Um, fortunately, we don't have a whole lot. Of, we didn't have any scenes that need like 50 people packed into a room together, shoulder to shoulder. Um, we do have some, some scenes with lots of extras, but they're more spread out. So yes, they may be in contact with two or three other people, but it's not one of those danger zones where you have 50 people all within a very small confined space. That's, that's nice to hear somebody else's perspective because i've been having to think through that with a potential shoot i have coming up later this summer on how we're gonna handle all that yeah i think you need to just get a feel for your people and where they sit on it and what their comfort level is and then make your decisions based on that um fortunately it just really fell into place for us that a lot of the critical people are more 
uh, comfortable, you know, and and, mm-hmm. and and not real worried, even though they, they understand the risk and they're going to be smart about it. Um, and then the ones that were nervous, fortunately, they were in scenes and situations that um, we can accommodate without any major concerns. So one thing I've noticed kind of uh, following the social media for Vindication is you doing the cast table reads. Was that something you just started here with season two or had you been doing that back in season one as well? With season one, we would typically, I would take pivotal critical scenes of an episode. And if it was like two actors, usually I would have them get on the Skype so they'd get on a Skype call with me and we would go through that scene and talk about it because it would be like, hey, this scene is the, you know, is the turning point of the episode or is the most important moment that we need to make sure we get it right. So we would get together and lead through it. Uh, on episode eight, I think we had a full table read where everyone got together in a room and, uh, you know, we just read through it all together. Um, so we have done some preparation like that, not, uh, you know, on the scale that we did with these Zooms. And I think everyone really enjoyed them. Uh, for the first one, after each scene, I would give my director's commentary, and then I went back and watched it, and I'm like, yeah, we're not doing that on episode two. I'm just going to let them read through the whole script. It's much more, <laughs> much more enjoyable without my two cents jumping in after every scene. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've done, I think, one of those before, but it's... Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I'd love to do an actual in-person table read sometime and just see what that would be like. If I were to be totally honest, from my experience and what I've gone through, I don't know that they're really necessary, the table okay. read. I don't know that a lot of benefit has come from them. Even from the Skypes, it does give you a just a hair of preparation, but I just know it's kind of an industry thing to do. You know, big productions, mm-hmm. and table reads and television shows, and they do that. And when I wasn't doing those, I thought, okay, well, let's do it now. And we did it. And I just thought, did anything really come of this? It maybe got us just one or two steps ahead when we got to the set, but it's still a 50-step journey you have to go on. So it's like, did those two steps really do a whole lot for us? Um, yeah, I don't know. That, that's my opinion on them. But I enjoy getting everybody together, seeing them all. A lot of them will never be on set together. So when they mm-hmm. do the table read, it's their one time to interact with all the other characters and see the other scenes because they'll never cross paths on set. Um, so for that reason, especially with the Zoom, it's it's fun, if nothing else. I bet. So I got a couple more questions here uh, as we kind of start to wrap up. So one is, what's one thing you wish you would have known back when you first started making film projects that you do now? Not necessarily with Vindication, but even maybe farther back. It would be that there are lots and lots of people out there who want to get involved in this art form. When I first started out, it was like me trying to find people, hey, would you please come help me with this project? Would you please come work on it? And maybe that comes with success once you've completed some things and people are, are pleased with the results. Now they want to work with you. But when I started out, I was like, I don't have actors. I don't have crew. I don't, you know, but people are out there that do want to get the experience and, and be involved in the art form. Um, you know, so you don't have to think you're alone or, or I have to do everything. There are people out there. You just have to find the right uh, opportunities to connect with them and meet them and, you know, express that we both share the same interest in the art form. Uh, you know, a great example is the feature film that I did uh, through our church, uh, a few years back, 
like for our casting calls were just like whatever members we went and asked, hey, would you come out and audition for this role? We think you might be able to do it, you know, and it would be two or three people. When all around us in Dallas, Fort Worth, there were tons and tons of actors and actresses who this is their craft, they're aspiring, and they would have loved that opportunity to come and audition and be a part of it, even if it wasn't for pay and it was just a church project. There were lots of people out there. We just didn't know how to reach them and we didn't know they were out there. So instead, it was like, you know, grabbing cousins and friends and, you know, that kid's little brother and, you know, or the, stuff like that to come audition as opposed to reaching out into the community and finding those that do, do have an interest. Cool. I don't think I've ever heard that come up before as a, what, what somebody wishes they would have known earlier on, but that's definitely... I had some auditions where nobody showed up and I had some where one person showed up and it was like, do we even need to do the audition? Cause you're getting the role. We don't know if you can act at all, but you're, you know, so once you've been through that process, you're like, man, if only I had known, because now, you know, we put stuff out and we get 400 submissions from people and they're like, I'll work for free. I'll travel. I'll do, you know, all these things. And you're like, man, where were you back when mm-hmm. you know, was praying that somebody would show up so that you would have a cast member, regardless if they could act or not. Yes, I I can remember quite a few of those, and that's usually how my family got cast <laughs> in a number of roles was out of desperation. So are there any books, podcasts, YouTube channels that you found are really good for learning more about uh, filmmaking? I bought one book that was called like directing actors, I think, and I've never finished it, but it was basically from an actor's perspective, like telling directors, here's what I need from you. And here's how you can help me out. And it, it gave me a few principles uh, that I've tried to keep in mind. Uh, you know, when I was on episode one, one of the actors that was there, I, I didn't have experience working with, with talented professional actors. So I was giving him line reads over and over hey, say it this way, you know, and finally he goes, hey, could, you know, can we do something besides line reads? (laughs) Because you're just basically telling me how to say it. And, but my experience before then with amateurs, that's what they needed. Just tell me exactly Mm -hmm. how to say this. Whereas a real actor gave that genuine performance. They need to feel it. They need to understand what's happening there so they can deliver it, not just say it the way I'm telling you, you know? Um, so, and I, I still occasionally do some line reads now. I'll tell them ahead of time, hey, do you mind if I give you a line read? And they're like, no, no, go for it. And then I'll tell them, I want you to say it exactly this way. Like, oh, okay. So it, it's still there, but that book that I mentioned about, uh, or it was called Directing Actors, I think, or something along those lines, you know, kind of teaches you what, what they need and how to present that to them. So that uh, certainly you know, helped me out in my directing approach. One final question. What's one piece of advice you would give to somebody that's just getting started in making and producing films? I would tell them, I want to see what you can make with what you have right now at your current skill level. I just want to see it. Go make it. Don't sit around and wait for the next class or the next book or the next, you know, $10,000 or whatever just go make the best you can right now and let me see that because then we can see where you need to grow, you know, and see where you're at. Um, but what I see a lot of times is people want to sit around and talk about it and they want to, I want to get into filmmaking. You know, if you have a phone uh, that's been made in the last 10 years, then you can be a filmmaker, you know, 
it might be uh, action figures on your desk, it might be a selfie of yourself, whatever, you know, but you don't have to get into filmmaking, you can already be one, and let's see where you're at, and then you can start developing these other skill sets. So show me where you're at, do something, don't talk about it. Yeah, no, that's that's really good. I know that's something I wish somebody would have told me a lot earlier on in in my career, and I think it would have helped me immensely. So no, that's very good. Well, that's that's all I have. So thank you very much for taking the time to uh, come on the show and talk with us. Yeah, absolutely. Always a pleasure. Until next time, make sure to subscribe to the Producer Podcast. And thanks for listening.